University of California, Irvine, this is the UCI Podcast. I'm Brian Bell. The Southwest United States has been enduring a mega drought that began more than 20 years ago, so Californians can be excused for not dwelling too much on the threat of flooding. But the risk is all too real, according to researchers at UC Irvine. And this season's string of heavy rain and snowfall events seems to be proving their point. Brett Sanders, a professor in UCI's Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering, uses advanced remote sensing technologies and simulations to help evaluate the impact of growing flood risk on communities in Southern California. In this episode of the UCI podcast, Professor Sanders talks about his research and ways to help prevent the most harmful effects of too much water, especially on historically underserved communities. A UCI podcast conversation with Professor Sanders is up next. Professor Brett Sanders, welcome to the UCI podcast. Thank you, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. So today we're obviously going to talk about uh, flood risk, uh, particularly in in California, Southern California. Uh, You've been doing a lot of research lately into this topic. And tell me, I've seen some of your research prior to this uh, looking at coastal flooding, but a lot of your later work seems to be focused on more what, what you would call urban flooding. Is that right? Right. The urban flooding is is really the intersection of flood water in the in the built environment, you know, uh, like cities, not unlike what we live in around Southern California. Uh, a lot of people, uh, or some people will consider urban flooding um, across California to also be a coastal flooding um, issue because our cities are, are along the coasts of the United States. So there's a, there's a previous work we did that was focused on specifically on sea level rise and flooding risk right along the coast where we had coastal communities like Newport Beach and and Tijuana and uh, you know T- Tijuana River Valley where we had done some some research on how you know coastal communities could could sort of better plan and prepare for future flooding with the aid of simulation tools and but really we we sort of over time broadened our the footprint of our work to go inland um, even into like inland areas like Riverside and um... one of the one of the things that came across in the study that came out in Nature Sustainability last fall was that a, a lot of this type of flooding, this this sort of inland flooding, impacts communities that you that are not the same type of communities that you see in Newport Beach or on the in some of these really close to the coast communities. Maybe explain a little bit about how what you discovered about these communities inland that are being impacted now. Yeah, that's a great question, Brian. We've our work looks specifically at the differences in the flood exposure in Los Angeles County to coastal flood risk, which we defined as flooding from you know a high tide uh, with a storm surge along the California coast, compared to flooding along rivers, which um, rivers of Los Angeles County, which are like the San Gabriel River, Los Angeles River, Compton Creek, Dominguez Channel, those main stem drainage systems, which cut through the, the urban core of Los Angeles. And um, we also compared that to 
what we call pluvial flooding, which is flooding caused by you know, rainfall that hits the street and runs down through neighborhoods and collects, collects in lowland areas and, and creates challenges there as well. And um, what perhaps is, is no surprise to many in California is that the coastal flood risk is a, is a risk that um, impacts a more affluent communities and disproportionately white communities along the coast. And we found that our, our river flood risk um, was disproportionately impacting communities with a large black population and also communities that had um, you know, you know, large Hispanic population fractions. So it helped us appreciate that, you know, depending on how you think about flooding, are you thinking about flooding as an inland risk associated with channel flood channels that might be undersized for a changing climate? Are you thinking about coastal communities that might be exposed to rising seas? When we think about those two different risks, we realize that the impacted populations are quite different. You know, a more affluent white community along the coast and uh, um, in inland areas, the impacted communities tend to be, you know, black and Hispanic populations and populations that are, that are um, less affluent. Now, when we looked at the, the pluvial flood risk, which is the flood risk from rainfall, that tended to be something that, that um, impacted uh, populations somewhat evenly. So we didn't see uh, strong inequalities relative to, to, um, to sort of people's exposure to you know, rainfall flood risks. And I, I think that at some level that makes sense in the sense, you know, because, uh, you know, we, we all, we, we all get hit by rain, you know, the rain, the rain falls on everyone and, um, and streets and aren't, aren't that different from community to community, but there are differences in whether communities sit near rivers, whether those communities are in lower topography or whether those communities are along the coast. And that kind of um, leads to the sort of, I guess what you might call inequities in flood risk that we uncovered in our study. One of the things that was mentioned in that nature sustainability study last fall was a risk that came from what you called atmospheric rivers. And I've read in the news over the last few months that that has been something that we have experienced here in Southern California, large rainfall events brought on by atmospheric rivers. Was it a surprise to you to see these atmospheric rivers hit California so hard in these last couple of months? You know, it wasn't a surprise. Uh, we, we know that California's you know, flood risk is linked to these strong atmospheric rivers that bring bands of moisture into the state for you know, a, a day at a time. And, and in fact, there were, there were sort of a, a sequence of atmospheric rivers that impacted us in January. Um, and in fact, we know that the worst floods in the history of, of California have occurred with the sort of um, sequencing of multiple atmospheric rivers. So um, the largest floods in the past have occurred when you, you see one after another of these wet storms roll in back to back. And so just about every day there's rainfall for weeks, literally weeks on end. And when that happens, the, the, the land surface is become saturated with water and there's just no additional storage available for rainwater to collect. And so you reach a point where rainwater strikes the land surface, uh, it runs straight off, tries to find a, a, you know, its pathway downhill towards the ocean 
And that leads to the really the greatest, the greatest flood risks the state can face. And we saw evidence of that this past past January. We saw places like Central Coast um, from Ventura, Santa Barbara got hit storm after storm. They got saturated, soaking wet, and then they got hit with another storm. And then even more rainfall came down. Areas like you know Salinas got had levees break, and after the levees break, you know highways were flooded, communities were cut off, lost their 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 connection to. Um, critical infrastructure like hospitals and so there was a you know crisis in northern california with with communities like um in the in a monterey county that couldn't 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 evacuate because there's no pathway to evacuate mm. uh, up in the central valley we saw rivers that that just you know crested above levees and caused levees to break and uh, large swaths of land um, in the central valley flooded highway 99 was cut off this atmospheric river um, um, dynamic that that has now sort of entered into the lexicon of our conversation about the weather is something that's happened for a long period of time, but only more recently have atmospheric scientists come to appreciate the way that these atmospheric rivers bring moisture out of the Pacific Ocean in these in the form of these these large bands of water water vapor, you know, transporting across the atmosphere and and to try to you know, build appreciation for the power of these of these wet storms. You know, they they came up with a name and gave it a rating index and tried to build awareness of the threat because the threat of these atmospheric rivers is is comparable to the threat brought on by large tropical storms that impact our Gulf Coast and our East Coast. Mm-hmm. Now they don't. And what happens is we just don't see them coming back to back to back that frequently. We've been mired in, in year after year of drought. And in the drought years, we just see one storm at a time, um, typically. And so we don't see those big floods and we don't see the reservoirs fill up across the state and we've had a smaller snowpack. Uh, but this past year, we saw evidence of what a more normal winter looks like in California um, based on the historical record. When you see a storm after storm after storm roll in, bring a lot of moisture, um, build the snowpack, saturate the land surface, and we saw that the floods that come with that, those those storms that come back to back. So, in fact, when we were planning the LA flood risk study, we had in mind the reality that there could be a future storm similar to one that occurred, you know, in 1862, which bankrupt the state and caused, you know, you know, basically widespread widespread damage that bankrupt the state and forced the government to move out of Sacramento into San Francisco. Um, another Los Angeles had been hit by big floods in the 1920s and and the 1930s and and um, the, the, the cities had a history of big floods, but over time they built up infrastructure that contained a lot of those floods, and over time we've had more and more droughts, which led a lot of people to even remember that we faced a flood risk. So that was a motivation in our preparation of that study that's reason why we did this study because we knew there's a a risk in los angeles we knew that awareness was low and but we weren't sure exactly the scale of this of the exposure how many people would be exposed to a flood and we didn't know you know to what extent the flood might or might not be an equitable impact and so that was kind of the rationale behind that study also um, another rationale behind that study was that you know, we've seen across the United States that more vulnerable communities are unable to recover from 
floods and that sends communities sort of spiraling downwards, less investment, people leaving the area. And we wanted to know, is that part of California's future? Do we have vulnerable communities focused, you know, where, where they'll be hit by, by a, a flood and, and they'll also suffer, you know, long-term challenges in the recovery. So trying to build awareness about our, our risks as a state, communities that are especially vulnerable was part of our motivation. Do you, do you think that uh, heavy rainfall this year, the 2022, 2023 uh, rainy season in California and some of the results of that are causing people, you know, policymakers, uh, civil engineers to think about new civil in, uh, infrastructure approaches to dealing with these issues? Absolutely. We, we've seen two, I think, major I think messages come from this event and our understanding of it. One one message is that we are vulnerable. We're seeing levees break. We're seeing roads cut off. This was not the equivalent to the great floods we've had in the past. I don't, I don't know the exact return period, but we're going to be facing floods larger than when we faced this past year. So the first message was that we have vulnerabilities. We have infrastructure that's aging and needs attention. The second message is that we we don't have a good flood control infrastructure for the purpose of water, long-term water conservation and water security. And we saw, you know, calls left and right for more capacity to capture water, retain it, store it, and use it to address, you know, the, the challenges we had with the drought. That, sounds, that always sounds to me as though it's something easier said than done. You know, you always see people on social media saying, why can't we capture all this water when it's all just running out to the ocean? What can we, you know? Yeah, and part of the, the reason it's, it's so hard to do is because we didn't design our infrastructure to do that. Mm-hmm. So most of our coastal water infrastructure, our flood channels, were designed for two things and two things only. One was to protect people, you know, for the safety of people that they don't get hurt during a flood. And the second was for economic, you know, development and growth. So we developed our flood channel infrastructure to to sweep water to the ocean as quickly as possible to, to keep people safe and to protect, you know, economic development, you know, buildings and housing and industries, because the, the state had faced a number of devastating floods. And they knew if they got hit by if the flood, you know, spread out and and flowed through developed areas, it was extremely costly and extremely deadly. Today we are living with infrastructure that was designed for for sweeping water quickly to the ocean. So the challenge is if we as a nation are reinvesting in our infrastructure, can we reinvest in a way that we achieve a different set of functions from our rivers. Can we redesign the river to slow down the water, to spread it out, to to recharge groundwater basins, to process nutrients? Um, Can we redesign our rivers so that they're more integrated with our ecosystems? Can we design our rivers so that they create, you know, green spaces with trees that offer shade during heat waves? Um, these are the things we should be asking as we have an enormous opportunity with the infrastructure funding that's being provided by the federal government 
enormous opportunity to rebuild, reinvest our infrastructure, we can't follow the same objectives that we used 100 years ago. We need a, a new set of objectives. And I think that's that's really the huge opportunity we face today to simultaneously address flood risk and 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 also meet these water sustainability challenges. And that that is not easy. You're absolutely right. There's going to be some tough choices. To do that, we'll need more space and land is expensive and not easily acquired. But that that is an opportunity we face today. What are you working on now in the next like 12 months uh, research-wise that, that uh, in, anything interesting that you'd like to share? Yeah, so, so two things. Like one is that we now know that there are really much greater flood exposure in Los Angeles County than, than anyone realized based on existing flood maps. We don't know what the actual exposure is for other parts of California. So one of the things we're working on is, is to expand our modeling tool um, beyond Los Angeles County. We've got parts of Orange County covered, but we're partner, partnering with San Diego County, with Riverside County, with San Bernardino County, with Ventura County. And so one of the things we're going to do is, is expand our model to cover all of Southern California and look at the exposure facing roughly half of the state's population and um, roughly half of the state GDP that falls within that area and, and get a sense of what is the real risk we're facing today. And that's, a, that's extremely important for, for risk awareness. Just raising awareness of what's at risk can be, can be very influential in helping communities, cities to update uh, building codes, land use, um, zoning, that sort of thing. And that can go a long way towards, towards, um, towards managing flood risk. The other thing we're working on is to chart future risks, considering two things. One is a warmer climate uh, with more intense rainfall, uh, more frequent wildfires, higher sea levels along the coast, perhaps changes in wave energy. So we need to think systematically about the way that the hazards are changing from even starting in the mountains with mountain runoff and mud and debris flows, inland areas, more intense rainfall and runoff in coastal areas with higher sea levels and perhaps changes in the wave climate. And then we also want to look into the future and ask how, how could we adapt our infrastructure, perhaps widening channels, raising levees, putting in dams, putting in water capture infrastructure, and we can then use our, our modeling tools to test out which of those would be most effective, which of those would be most equitable, who would benefit from those adaptation measures, how do we pay for them, and we can really lay out a set of options for the state of California to think about how it simultaneously manages flood risk you know, and works towards its water sustainability um, needs and, and, and does so in an equitable way. Well, I want to thank you for joining me today to discuss flood risk and water sustainability here in the state of California. And uh, uh, thanks again. It's a pleasure, Brian. Thanks for having me. Flood risk assessment work by Professor Brett Sanders and his UCI colleagues is the subject of a feature article in the winter 2023 issue of UCI Magazine, which is out now. 
You can find links to the electronic version of the magazine at news.uci.edu. The UCI Podcast is a production of Strategic Communications and Public Affairs at the University of California, Irvine. I'm Brian Bell. Thank you for listening. Thank you.